Distinguished adventurers, welcome to our first episode of our new D&D campaign. Sit back and relax as we introduce you to some new characters, a new location, and a lot of new adventures. This episode is dedicated to Megan. Thank you for being one of our amazing Patreon patrons. May you have advantage on your next role. And now... Wake up on the Radiant Citadel, where you normally do. And we'll find out a little bit more about that in a second. You're not exactly sure what your day holds for you, but very quickly, as you wake up, you find that there's a note that's been left for you. Very familiar handwriting from an old gnome that you know on the Radiant Citadel. The chicken scratch is excited. And all it says is, come see me so Erwin. And so, El Torito, would you please describe yourself and where do you wake up this morning? El Torito, he emerges from his bed in the very small apartment that he has. It's very small because it is uh, near the trade discal. And I got to tell you, he was amazed to get this place. (laughs) But it is a closet. Thankfully, El Torito is a goblin. He is an extremely well-dressed goblin. He hops out of bed. He is in a medium-sized creature bed. He just loves the room and the challenge of trying to get up into it uh, after a long day of training, fighting, whatever he's got up, gotten up to that day. He hops off the sizable height of a bed for him and immediately gets into a push-up position and does 50 push-ups right away. At the end, he's doing them on his fingertips. He hops himself up. Uh, He's still in his small clothes, and he puts on a very nice pair of leather pants. He slips over them. What would be in our universe, cowboy boots, but with extremely long and upturned points. So imagine, if you will, the cousins from Breaking Bad. Those, like, pointed boots. They don't have skulls on them, but they are still very nice. He slips on a very simple sleeveless shirt. He slips on a very nice-looking sleeveless vest. Sort of like a vest doublet sort of thing. And uh, he puts his hand through his extremely thick uh, hair that's shaved up the sides and kind of, like, flows down to just uh, above the nape of his neck. And he starts adorning himself with his jewelry. He's got some big, for him, jade earrings that are are going in. He takes out the little uh, simple septum piercing that he'd had and puts in his, his nice jade one. His ears kind of like are swept back and pointed. And he puts some feathers in his hair, multicolored feathers. He looks about his apartment He's got a few things. He's got two war hammers, one of clearly dwarven make, and another, the other one that's like more like a work hammer. And he has uh, a closet of other clothes, but proudly displayed is his luchador mask, which invokes a sort of serpent head 
that like flows back and it has a sturdy, simple looking array of feathers on the back. Imagine, if you will, the headdress from from Black Panther Wakanda Forever that El Cuckoo Khan dons. It's sort of like that, except it's designed to be in a rough and tumble wrestling match. And it's not nearly as ornate, but but that's what it invokes. Yeah. Before before you go on, you say it's proudly displayed. Is it on a shelf? Is it on a, a mannequin head? Is is it on a plinth? How how is it displayed in your apartment? It's on the bedpost of his what would be for us his uh I guess twin size bed. Twin? No. Full no, size. No, I'd bed. say yeah. Full. He's probably got a a queen. Sure. Like if he's got just a regular bed. Yeah. It's, it's up to him, but if it's uh just a regular bed, then yeah. So it's on it's on one of the bedposts of that bed, but it's very prominently displayed. He kind of like adjusts it. Ooh, that that's a little blood. Okay. And he, he cleans it off very quickly. Ah, time for the day. No hammers today. I do not think I would need them. He thinks for a bit. Simple hammer today. And he grabs his simple war hammer, clacks it onto his back like Master Chief, and uh <laughs> <laughs> I could put it in, are we allowed to have hammer space? I could just give him hammer space. You know, I love the idea of when you rage. There are so many classes and or subclasses that allow you to just grab a weapon out of the ether or from quote unquote hammer space. I'm here for it. Why not? Okay. He clacks it onto his back and you might think that it's a production gaffe or a continuity error. As he walks out, no hammer is visible. He locks his apartment. He heads down the street to his favorite empanada stand. And as the the proprietor is whistling the girl from empanada, which is a weird song that I don't know where that came from. Very strange. He buys a couple of empanadas, a uh, cafe de leche, and walks out onto the street in the trade district to take in the day. Ah, yes. And as he reaches into his pocket, he's like, oh, let's see here. Oh, I have to, let's see, I have trading tomorrow, match the day after that. And he's flipping through some of the notes that he has. Note from Irwin. How did he slip me a note? I will have to look into this. I will have to become more perceptive. Anyway, and he knows Irwin from Community Wrestling, which is the match that he was previously talking about we we can collaborate on this i figure community wrestling is exactly that like it is at the local like what would be school gym or something i don't know the equivalent on the radiant citadel it's an all it's done Mm. by wrestling enthusiasts there's very low pay the production quality is not great Mm -hmm. but it's a, a chance for guys like el torito or have not broken into the actual like big glitzy matches that go on in other parts of the Citadel to participate in the sport and actually gain a small following. I, I liken it to my own Twitter following. You know, I've got over a thousand followers, so I've got I've got some people who know me, but I'm I'm not there in the big league. And that's fine. That's the sort of fame that El Torito enjoys right now. So you used to be in the school gymnasium on the Radiant Citadel. In fact, up until incredibly recently, that's where all of your training was and your matches and everything. But you have just graduated, and by you I mean the Community Wrestling Corporation group, 
whatever you want to call it, <laughs> time had finally opened up at the Auroral Amphitheater, which is the main small performing venue on the Radiant Citadel. And by small, several hundred people, it's got a bunch of different facilities. And so it's exciting because now you have kind of a, a more comfortable space first off and a bigger space so you can have more people. But as you relook over your notes, while you do have some training, uh, you do remember that they have to move all of the stuff from where they were into one of the storage areas by the Aurora Amphitheater and get things set up for the next couple of matches. So you actually don't have a match for a 10-day, a little while. Long enough that you've got a little bit of free time. He flips over one of the notes. Oh, that's right. I, I had an addendum to this note. And it's like, oh, actually, you need to come and move chairs, please. And bags and weights. Ugh. Your training is moving chairs, chairs and yep, all of that. But, you know, it's going to be it's going to be boring and hard work, but in the end, you're going to have a nicer place and more people and it can only help everybody have a little bit more fun. So, you do have this other note from Irwin. What I don't know if you want to go there immediately or if you have any other any other chores to take care of. For the day. All the note says is to see him as soon as possible. I could go over to the gymnasium and help with the addition of moving, but I am not signed up for it, as I do not have a note. El Torito is uh, not the smartest, we'll say, hammer in the toolbox, which is his reliance on notes for people to remind him what he's doing. It's like, I do not see a note where I am committed for today. So I had better go see Irwin uh, sooner rather than later. When you say you rely on your notes, are they just a stack of notes in your pocket? Do you have a... Yes. Okay. I wasn't sure if they were in a, no, a holder of some they sort. Are like, they are like the service notes in my car that have all been stuffed into the glove box. And I really do need to take them out and put them in a proper file in our filing cabinet that we totally have because we are adults. That's a later problem. I love the idea of El Torito waking up and that's just part of his normal day is reaching into a pocket and pulling out a handful of notes and like, all right, here we go. And as he as he sort of checks them off mentally, he immediately is, ah, I will go and see Erwin. And he crumples it up with the empanada raptor and in a raptor. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> empanada raptors. Are, are they a thing? I don't want them to be a thing. Um, they are now. You've just summoned them into existence. You're, oh, God. you're unsure. Your your empanada, the empanada stand that you talked about, that's your favorite that you go to, always has the basics, always has, you know, a good standard empanada. But they've been experimenting recently with some of the more exotic meats and vegetables that have been uh, coming onto the Radiant Citadel. The raptor meat, you're still a little unsure of. I appreciate what they are doing, but it is tough. And I think there are still bones in here Ugh. <laughs> i i definitely try other foods that are outside my comfort zone when i go to places that i like and as many times as i've tried goat curry i just i don't like the bones like it's mm. the taste is fine but what i don't have to deal with with chicken curry bones most of the time tandoori chicken yes or like you know beef curry but goat curry goat korma all of it just has bone and I'm just like, ah, I just can't be bothered. So I think that's today's raptor empanada. It, it wasn't yeah. it. 
It wasn't it for today. Did not taste good enough to warrant dealing with the bones. Exactly. You know what? And your empanada dealer is grateful for the feedback. You know, maybe the next time they'll be able to get some boneless raptor. I've just summoned that into existence. Anyway, you make your way down to not very far from where you live in the trade discal, but just outside of it into uh, what is known as the Court of Whispers, which despite its kind of dark name is just basically where a lot of trade and goods get taken care of. But there's also a lot of actual trade in information. And it is one of the best places to go if you need anything, but don't have it. And there's no place on the Citadel to be able to get it. And considering the Citadel is only about a mile by a mile, it's not huge. There's not a ton of people on it. There's a lot that has to be brought in. So you make a nice little walk down to uh, one of the side streets on the Court of Whispers to a, a house that you know is Irwin's. And it's a deceptively small house because it looks like it's only one floor. But you are well aware that there is a basement and a sub-basement in this building, which is a little unusual for a lot of the buildings here. But Erwin was able to get it through a combination of being super old, and so he's been here forever, and some of the, the experiments that he takes care of that could use a little bit more soundproofing. Do you knock on the door? Do you call out to him? Do you what what do you do when you arrive? El Torito remembers the time, the only time he's been here. It was an after party for one of the matches that he won in community wrestling. And Erwin invited everyone, which was only about two dozen of us, to an after party at his place. And so that's the only time he's been here, and El Torito got so drunk that he painted poor Erwin's bathroom a vibrant color. Roll me a persuasion check. Oh, he's actually quite good at persuasion, but not when he rolls a two. <laughs> I should shut up. <laughs> well, uh, So that is a, a six total. Now, let me say this. Whatever color you painted it, you tried to convince him later on that it was, it was, it was a good color. You tried. Maybe outside of the bathroom, it would be a great color for walls. Oh, oh no, I'm sorry. He painted it with vomit. Oh! I totally, you know what? Maybe that's just my state of mind. You said painted and I literally pictured like home renovation, you know drunk what? home renovation. I, you know I like that better. So like, because, okay, <laughs> okay, yeah. He painted it. He thought he was going for the same color jade that's in this uh, septum piercing, but it turned out to be just a terrible shade of green. But because he was very drunk and didn't do a great job, no, no, this will this will work in this will be up and coming in the next season. I assure you. Oh, mm. and I don't know what Irwin's reaction would have been to that. Well, with that persuasion check, Irwin knew better than to try to stop you. You wanted to renovate the bathroom, repaint it, go for it. Couldn't quite convince him that the color was actually a good color. Maybe it's because afterwards, when you had uh, sobered up a little bit, you couldn't even really convince yourself. So as far as you know, that bathroom is still painted kind of a pea soup green. But, you know, you might be able to find out now that you're here for the second time. Do you knock on the door? 
Yes, and he's like he's a little nervous. He he's he was encouraged by the fact that Irwin didn't stop coming to matches, mm-hmm. but he just hasn't like actually talked to him since then. That's so that's fair. Knock knock knock. You knock knock, and almost immediately when you knock, a noise comes out of a little rock that's right next to the handle of this door, and you hear the distinct voice of Irwin Wildflow. Coming through this rock, almost like it's ascending stone, and you hear, who is it? Wild flow, thoughts arrive from ascending stone, yeah. Sorry, I had to. His name's Wild Flow. I know. Um, okay, sorry. Please tell me El Torito No, no, that. he didn't do that. He ah. didn't do that. Jonathan, the player, couldn't resist. Uh, yes, uh, it is uh, It is I, El Torito. I, uh, I got a note uh, I found on me. Uh, you wanted to speak? Oh, yes. Okay, hold on a moment. You hear the very loud click of the door unlocking. You kind of wait a moment, thinking, oh, he's unlocking the door. But nothing happens. And eventually, you turn the handle and unlock and open the door. It's unlocked. Nobody's there. You kind of enter into the living room of this space. Unlike the sub-sub-basement, which you know is his, basically his workshop, the actual home area of this gnome's home is very meticulously, it's clean, it's laid out nicely, it's, it's got very good flow to it. You don't even really see any papers or anything lying about. And as you enter, the last thing you hear from the little rock on the end is, come on down to the first basement and I'll let you down to the second. Oh, okay. I, I, am, I am on my way down. And he heads, heads that way. You do have to pass the bathroom of green and taking a quick look in. Yep. <sighs> still, still pee green. Although you do notice now that you are in a more coherent state, while the color is really the worst, you did a better job of painting than you thought. Like, it looks fine from a actual mechanics standpoint. Like, there's no missing spots. You didn't get green all over the, the sink or anything. But yeah, it's, it's still green. You head down the stairs into the first basement, which is kind of a mixture of a rec room and also his office. You don't know very much about what Irwin does for a living, besides the fact that he's an inventor. And is just an enthusiastic gnome that comes to your events. But he's there, sitting in front of the desk, just turning around in this chair that has these wheels on it so that they swivel all the way around. And you see him. He is a tiny little gnome, barely four feet tall, dressed in very thick workman's clothes, almost to the point where you think he could have been handling hot things or dealing with cutting down trees or something like that. He's wearing thick leathers. He's got one glove on his left hand that looks, it's, it's a serious glove. And he's got a pair of goggles that what we would consider welder's goggles on his eyes, over his face, above this giant hooked nose of his. And as he turns to look at you, he pulls up the goggles and gives a 
large, happy, friendly grin is, you know Erwin to be kind of an affable guy. He's just always happy. Even in that moment where you painted his bathroom green, he just kind of took it with, with a, an accepting nod. And he says, ah, good hell, Torito. Thank you for coming so quickly. Ah, uh, yes, uh, my day was, uh, was free, and I saw your note that you had somehow gotten to me during my last match. So uh, I commend you on your stealth and ability to slip me a note. And, and I, don't, I don't, do not mean that in any sort of way other than complimentary, because honestly, if it wasn't for these notes, I would not get anything done. So thank you. And uh, so how, uh, how can I help you? Are you sure you don't want some kind of binder for like a little notebook? I can help you out with that. You oh, know. Uh, th- uh, this system has worked for many years, both here in the Radiant Citadel and my time in Faerun. He does pause a little when he references his time in Faerun. But it has served me well, and I often surround myself with people who uh, are much better at uh, those organizations than I am. Quite frankly, what I need to know can usually fit on a handful of notes, so I am good. Okay, I totally get the, this is your system, don't mess up the system. I get that, I get that. Okay, enough chit-chat. Follow me, follow me. And he leads you, unceremoniously turns around, and leads you to a door that you know is, that leads down to that sub-sub-basement. He unlocks it, opens it up. He just starts to walk on down and you see a gentle glow start to emanate as though lights are turning on or he's he's turned on an alchemical light or something. And you follow him down the stairs to this workshop of his. Everything in the room, and there's a lot in this room, there's a lot of things you do not understand. There's a lot of pieces of what you are pretty sure are junk. There are... Bits and bobs of every conceivable type of wood, metal. He's been playing around with something called plastic. There's glass. Just bits of it everywhere. There's workstations set up. There's an alchemy set on one side. There's just stuff everywhere. But it's all been pushed out of the middle of the room and hovering about two inches off the floor of this basement, you see a chair. It's big, and not just big for a goblin, but even big for a medium-sized creature. It's very tall. It's got a plush blue cushion on the bottom and on the back. It looks like it's made of wood, but the closer you get to it, no, maybe that's brass that's just been carved to look like wood. It's not just that there's striations that have been put into this to make it look like wood grain, but you also see little places in where like a leaf has been carved or a part of what, maybe it's a branch. The aesthetics of this chair are interesting. Plus, it's floating off the ground. And when you look under it a little bit to see what's causing this, there's a giant crystal on the bottom of this chair, also glowing a soft blue. Your suspicions are confirmed when the gnome behind you starts to clap in excitement and say, I got, I finally got it, finally got it. It's a spell jamming helm. 
I, I'm sorry, it does not look much like a helm. I have worn helms before, I don't anymore. I uh, don't really need them. But I would have trouble uh, putting that on my head. Oh, oh, oh. I don't know why they actually call them helms. I think that's I think that's from the ship part of the ships of a spell jammer. But yet yeah, this chair, this is this is like the captain's chair. This is the heart of an actual ship. This is the hardest thing we need to get in order to build the ship of my dreams that I've always wanted to put together. And now that we've got this, and I say we because I, I know you're interested, now that we've got this, the other parts should be relatively easy. This is the thing you can't just put together out of nothing and nowhere. You kind of have to buy these? So you want this? Yes. Insight check. Go for it. <laughs> Nine. You can't tell if he's lying or not. You think if he did buy it, it might not have been with money? You think he might be telling the truth, but leaving out everything else by just saying yes. Even with a nine. <laughs> Erwin might be telling the truth from a certain point of view. What you get is that the inflection gives you just enough to know that he is intentionally leaving everything out and just saying yes. How common are spell jammers at the Radiant Citadel? Are they coming in or out? Are they, does like one arrive a year and that's a big deal? Go ahead and give me a history check and I'll give it to you with advantage because this is something that you've been interested in for quite a while. So you've, you've already done a little bit of research. 15. These are hard to get. They're not only difficult to make and expensive to make, they are... Just like your friend was saying, the heart of a spelljammer ship, the heart of a craft that can fly through space, everything else can kind of be cobbled together. You've seen spacefaring vessels that are everything from grand galleons that could roam with hundreds of people on it and giant sails to tiny little skiffs that maybe could only hold two or three people. Some of them look like they're made out of living trees. They're made out of all sorts of stuff, but you do know that whatever it is that is the, the heart of the ship, the propulsion of the ship, the thing that actually lets you steer it, this kind of chair is really hard to get a hold of. In fact, you know that they're usually... 6,000, 7,000 gold pieces at least. For spelljammers in general, how, how common are they? Like, are they leaving port like every day? Does one come a week? Does one come a year? Uh, they come on a, a regular enough basis because the Radiant Citadel is a trade hub at its core. Because of where the Radiant Citadel sits and the fact that it's connected, it's kind of on its own, but it's also connected to these other civilizations and has a government, let's say, that is predisposed to being a safe place to, to come to port. You know that there's shady dealings that happen all over the Radiant Citadel, but for the very most part, there's no crime. There's no destruction. There's not piracy or bandits. The Radiant Citadel keeps everything very civil and calm. And so unlike other places like the Rock of Brawl and other 
spacefaring hubs. A lot of trade happens on the Radiant Citadel because if you're moving cargo from one place to another, doing the actual exchange on the Radiant Citadel is kind of a safe place to be. So you do see ships on a regular basis. You have to be near one of the the docks, which are on the very extreme side of the Citadel. It's not always easy to get that close to the ships because, you know, they're, they're guarded and kept safe for all those reasons. But the ships themselves do come fairly frequently. So you would have a, a decent idea of the scope of what Spelljammers could be. Hearing this, something in El Torito kind of wakens. And he's like, so is there any limit to the size of the Spelljammer ship that this helm could, could potentially control? Oh, no, 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 that's the beauty of this one. And of most of them, I think, although I've only really seen a couple of them. And he scurries on over and pats the back of the chair, which has some more of that carving into the metal to make it look like wood grain. And he pats the back of it and says, I think what this came out of was a decommissioned ship that was a living ship. One of those ships that's made out of a tree that's still like a a tree. Mm-hmm. Kind of one of those. I think that's what it came out of, so that's probably what it would want to go into again. But these things are interchangeable once you get a hold of them. Once you get them installed, uh, you can kind of put them into anything. So size is the limit of our imagination, my friend. I see. Well, this makes me even more excited than I was. And I try not to be too excitable because, as as you know, I am a goblin. and. Goblins have been known to have several stereotypes associated with them, and... Oh, all just ridiculous stereotypes. Exactly. Ever since I came here from my home realm of Teletepec, I've seen these ships. Not something we we even saw in Perun, but of late I have felt my, shall we say, the call to adventure a, a little bit more and more. And don't get me wrong, I love community wrestling, and I love the community that that we are gathering. And now that we are at the auditorium, I am even more excited. But, I mean, I hit things, and I can build with this a little, and he summons his hammer from Hammerspace. I have a very specific set of skills. Ah, but you have one thing which is absolutely necessary, which is an interest in helping me build the ship so that we can have a Spelljammer. Because that's all that's really needed. The rest of it, no one has the skills for that unless you're one of those shipwrights that can actually build things. No, 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 no. You and I've got a couple of other people that I'm going to contact. We're going to make this happen. But obviously we need to make the ship happen. And so there's a whole bunch of other things that I need you to get. I'm putting together a team, let me put it, a team of people who can go get the stuff that I need because I can I can build it when it's big enough. I can get us a port where we can continue to build it and get it done. But, you know, these old bones, I'm not really hopping around to all the different places that you can get to from here, all the different civilizations. I'm that's not that's not me. No, I'm also not the person who should be talking to people. So if if we got to do some negotiations, I need some people that I can trust to go and get the stuff that I need. And Once it's built, then we go to the star. What do you say? Son of a gun. I'm in. Excellent. 
The distinguished adventurers are huge fans of Idol Champions of the Forgotten Realms. It's a Dungeons & Dragons strategy video game that brings together D&D characters from novels, adventures, and multiple live streams into a single grand adventure. It is so much fun to put together a formation that includes champions from our favorite D&D streams, books, and more. Every week there's something new happening in the game, and it's available on almost any platform. Need some loot to gear up your champions? We're happy to offer a free Electrum chest to all of our listeners. This week's code expires on June 19th at 8pm Pacific, so open up the game, go to the shop, and type in this code. D-A-C-A-M-P-A-I-G-N-2 exclamation mark. That's right, that's the number two, and the symbol exclamation mark. So use that code and let us know on Twitter or Instagram what goodies you got. And now, enough of the loot drops. Back to the show. So it's the morning on the Radiant Citadel. And... As you wake up, maybe it's in a place that you're familiar with, maybe not. I'll let you describe that in just a second, but the only thing that you know for sure for your day is that you've received a note from someone you know, Erwin Wildflow. The note is in excited chicken scratch, almost illegible with excitement, and all it says is, come find me as soon as you can. And it's signed. And it's a good thing you do know where Irwin's house is. Because there's nothing else on this note. But as you wake up this morning, where do we find Thaviapin and what do they look like? So, Thaviapin, and I'll say this in my normal voice, is <laughs> he's, uh, he has this loft that, uh, that he's, uh, he's managed to save up for over years of being a sort of street performer slash ma- magician. From the look of it, it looks like the whole thing was carved out of a single block of wood. So it must have taken a very long time, a lot of magic, artisans, all them. But it has this sort of look. Whether it actually is or not, I'll, I'll leave to the uh, the listener to decide. But uh, but it's very cozy, very homey. He's able to entertain for small parties and a few friends, but it isn't like a really massive, massive space. And so Thaviapin is about five foot eleven. Has uh, wavy black hair. I would say uh, sandalwood to light chocolate colored covered skin. He has his morning robes, but he has his like robes that he wears um, whenever he's out on the town. He is Azamar, but he passes for human. So people who didn't know him might 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 mis- rightfully possibly mistake him for for being a human. Awesome. And as you wake up this morning and go about your regular morning routine, besides this note from Irwin that you've got, do you have any other plans for the day? Any normal things that you usually do in the morning? Sometimes he'll look through some messages to see if anyone's looking. He does like private events, birthday parties, weddings, that kind of thing, like as needed. He he makes his business contact. So sort of he does street magic, but it's sort of like the gateway to him doing this. And that's how he actually makes his money. So he might look through to see if he has anything like that, but he has been making a concerted effort to take on less business recently. Oh, why? Well, he's been thinking about his life. Uh, he's about 60 years of age, and I've heard to describe this. He has a beard. It's not like a super long beard, maybe an inch or two off of his chin. 
And it's sort of like a full beard. It's, it's shaped and styled in a way that it's like it's like he clearly either goes to a barber or whatever the equivalent of the Radiant Citadel is. But um, but his hair, of course, is very long. And the reason he's taking on this business is because he's thinking about his age. Like, what has been his contribution to to the world? What has he given back? He's been able to make a living. He's been able to survive. Survival's been on his mind for so long that it's all that he's really thought about. And now he's sort of in this generativity phase where he's like, well, why? What was it all for? What is there? He doesn't really believe in a great destiny or whatever. You, you basically make – your life is what you make of it. But I think he's interested in seeing of what well, – he woke up one fine morning being like, what if my life could be something else? And he's sort of entertaining that thought in a very real way. Awesome. As you look at this note from Irwin, what's your first thoughts? And do you go there immediately or do you take care of anything else before you go? Well, Thothiapa doesn't really have any other business today, but just because he doesn't want to rush to anybody, he's going to make a concerted effort to go to a coffee shop, get himself a coffee, and then head over to there, and he's going to get extra ginger in his coffee. Extra ginger, yeah. Yeah, you've got a couple of places that you can very easily stop at. In fact, if you're interested in making sure that you arrive fashionably late, even though all the note says is come as soon as you can. There are a couple of places that are literally in the opposite direction of where Irwin's place is that you, you like a little bit more. And so you can amble in that direction, get yourself a coffee, enjoy the morning. It's, it's interesting. It's the morning air on this rock floating through space with a giant crystal. But it's very pleasant today. The, the actual diamond is a very light blue color, so it really does remind you of a regular planet's sky. Eventually, when it feels like it's about time, you head on over to Irwin's house. Irwin has a house in what's known as the Court of Whispers. And despite the fact that that's kind of a nefarious name, it's actually kind of one of the hearts of the Radiant Citadel. It's a place where a lot of trade and information happen. And with with this place being such a hub for trading of all sorts of things, both physical and informational, there's a lot of reason to go there. And it doesn't really surprise you that he's got a house there because he is an inventor of sorts. You don't exactly know what he does for a living. All you know is that He's an incredibly old gnome who that's what he kind of does is he just invents things. Have you ever been to his house or is this going to be your first time? Ah, uh, Thothiopin has been there once before. He was invited to perform at his child's birthday party. And what he did is he performed his, uh, his illusion, the uh, Princess of Marvelicara, where the aforementioned birthday child gets to take on the role of a child princex, a gender-neutral term there. Could be a princess, could be a prince, could be a gender-neutral third option, so a princex. And uh, the princex is tasked with rescuing all of the grown-ups in the kingdom as they've been captured by evil pirates. Ooh. And go ahead and roll me a performance check to see how, how well did this performance go. All right. Eleven. Awesome. This was kind of a new routine, so there, there was still a little bit of a, uh, some hiccups, and probably one of the, the reasons that it, it started off a little rocky, but it got better as you were going, is because the kid that you were focused on, the, the, the birthday child, was not the child of Erwin directly. You know Erwin's like almost 500 years old, so this is like the great-great-great-great-great-grandchild? So it was a whole family affair, 
and learning how and what relationship all these people had to each other kind of took up a lot more time. But once you got into the performance, it was pretty nice. Because of what was going on, you actually got a chance to see all three levels of this house. Erwin has a fairly unique place in the Radiant Citadel and where the top floor of his house is the ground level. And he's got two basements, which in a place like this, where it's it's incredibly hard, if not impossible, to dig out of the rock, that's odd. And from what you've been able to gather, the basements, part of this is because he's been old enough that he's been around long enough that he was able to secure this location. But also his experiments sometimes require a lot of noise reduction. And so... The Council of the Radiant Citadel were happy to let him bunk there. So you're a little familiar with the house. And as you arrive, do you knock on the door? Do you head on in? What do you do? I think Thavyabin's going to have a little bit of fun with this. He's going to conjure up an illusion of a tiny Thavyabin outside the window he expects Owen would be, just waving very cheerfully. <gasps> it's an excellent illusion. Nothing happens. You don't hear anything. In fact, as you stand there after you take care of the somatic components for the spell, it's remarkably quiet. Thaviapin is going to sigh and knock. As soon as you're done knocking, there's a rock next to the handle of the door, and it suddenly makes noise. And you're familiar with sending stones, and this kind of makes you think of a sending stone, as suddenly you hear the voice of Erwin coming out of it. How is it? It's Thaviapin, your old friend. Oh, yes. Okay. All right. I'll unlock the door. Come downstairs immediately. You hear a click of a door unlocking. And if you turn the handle, front door opens and you find yourself in the top floor of Irwin's house. Empty, though. You're in the nice living room. You remember this living room actually being kind of the heart of this house and the the main place that you ran your, your performance in. You see a bathroom off to the right. That for reasons you don't know is painted this horrible green color. It's like this pea green. Never really understood why. You don't find anyone on that ground floor, but you do know where the stairs are leading to the first basement. And heading down there, you find Erwin, this almost ancient gnome in what we would consider a welder's outfit as far as protective clothing, uh, thick leather breeches and an apron. He's got a glove on that looks like he could put his hand into the heart of a sun and be fine, but only on the left hand. And he is small even for a gnome. He's seated at a desk in this area, which you you know is kind of half workspace, half living space. It's a little cluttered, but it's it's fairly nice. And he turns around in the the chair that he's in, which has these wheels on the bottom. He's got goggles on, big thick goggles with dark lenses that he pulls off of his eyes to rest on his forehead. His he's got this giant hooked nose that almost hides his big friendly grin. You kind of know him as this fairly affable guy, even even when he's not in the best of moods, even when things have gone wrong, he still tries to be a pleasant fellow. And so you know his grin is pretty genuine. He says, ah, Thavi Yuppin, it's good to see you. Yes, yes, thank you for coming so quickly. 
I'm so excited. I'm going to show it to you. Come, 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 come. I'm quite excited to see it. What, what are you going to show me? Uh, I'm just, I'm just going to show it to you. You'll know when you see it. And he gets up and goes over to a doorway that he unlocks that, you know, leads down to that other basement. And then he just goes in. He doesn't even beckon you anymore. He just immediately unlocks the door, starts going down the stairs. There's some soft light that starts to emanate as though he's turning on some of the some of the magical lamps that are down there. Do you follow him? Yes, of course. You head downstairs into this sub-basement. The bottom floor is his laboratory. And you know from, from the once that you've been here before, this place is usually kind of cluttered and it's, it's a little bit of a hodgepodge of experiments and stuff going on. There's an alchemical, almost laboratory in one section. There's more metal and wood and stone and glass and something that he calls plastic just bits and pieces and bobs of stuff everywhere. It's usually fairly organized, but as you arrive at this basement, everything has been pushed out to the walls to make space for a chair in the middle of the room. The chair is floating about off the floor. And it's this very large chair that has a, as you look at it, it's almost an air of, of expensiveness to it. Seems to be made of wood, but when you get a little bit closer, you notice, no, this is actually metal of some sort that has had etchings put into it to make wood grain. And even in a couple of places, you can see where leaves are or a branch has been hinted at just in the the carvings on whatever this metal is. The cushion on the bottom and on the back of the chair, because it's a very high-backed chair, are this lovely blue. And underneath the chair is this giant blue crystal that is alight, glowing, as it just hovers about an inch or two off the floor, not bobbing or weaving, just steady. And Erwin starts to clap in glee as he says, I finally got one. I finally, after all this years, look, look, it's the Spelljammer helm. Spelljammer? Remarkable. What is a Spelljammer? Oh, the ships, the ships. We were talking about you wanted to go off into the stars and go other places and... This is the heart of one of those ships. And go ahead and roll me a history check. It's my, my number today. It's 11. You've been interested enough in travel outside of where you can easily get to from the Radiant Citadel that once Erwin kind of goes through his excited ramble, you still are unsure about what this floating chair really is, but you do recognize, oh yeah, Spelljammers. That's what they call those ships. Um, they dock at the Radiant Citadel on a regular basis because a lot of places use this place for trade because it's a it's a safe location that is valuable for trade between places where other parts of the universe where you might go where a ship might come and move goods and information from one ship to another. Other places are not quite as safe. The Rock of Brawls, some other planets, but Radiant Citadel is is a very calm and secure place. And so this is a hub for trade. 
And so you recognize at least the term, and a couple of ships come to mind of varying sizes and makes. And Erwin points at the floating chair and says, this is the thing. This is the thing. That's the hardest thing. This is the thing I've been trying to get because with this, the rest of the ship can happen. And the rest of the ship, it'll, it'll take some time and I, we've got to get some stuff. But, and I say we because I'm hoping that you're going to be able to help with this because we talked about this, but this was the hardest thing. And now that I've secured us the helm, the real work can begin. What shall you have me procure? So you're in. Of course. Suddenly. Excellent, excellent. Nothing at the moment. I'm putting together a group of people to go and get a bunch of stuff. I'm going to try to get the building permits and get this build started. But I'm not really good at the talking kinds of things. I'm going to come up with a whole list of what we need, which I'm pretty sure that we can find in a bunch of different places. But I'm, I'm putting together a group to go out and secure these pieces so that we can build this ship. And then once it's built, we can all sail for the stars. But I still need to find a couple of people because there's at least one thing I'm going to need you to get that needs at least four people to carry, maybe even five. I don't know. But you're in, and that's, that's great. That means I got, I've got two. I need to find two more people. I think I know who to ask. Is there any other questions that you have? I'm, I'm going to try to get this all done by today so that tomorrow we can start. These other people, anyone I need to worry about? Oh, no. Everybody that I'm going to get is going to be on the up and up. Absolutely. I like the up, and the up is even better. That up and gives a big, big smile. And Erwin gives a big smile back and almost giggles a little bit at your, your amusing sentence, but also just the glee of this moment. All right. Excellent. 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 I gotta ask, though, once it's built, do you know where you want to go? I've managed to rule out here. As far as I know, I've been here since I was three, possibly earlier. I have no past, but perhaps no future here either. Can't wait to see what's out there. Very eloquently stated. I love it. Excellent. Well, once we've got it built, I'm sure we'll have a list of places that we're all going to want to go. But first, we got to build it. I will get back to you tomorrow with a list of supplies and where we can get some of this and who else is going to be on the team. And we'll get started. Very good. And he, he'll just sort of pat Erwin on the back. <laughs> and it is with that that we're going to pause as uh, you have agreed to join Erwin's team to build a Spelljammer. Thanks for listening to our adventure. If you've enjoyed our show, then visit us at distinguishedadventurers.com. There you can find links to our podcast and social media, pictures and bios of our cast, info on our Patreon, and much more. Thanks again, and we'll see you next encounter. We appreciate all of our Patreon patrons and extend a special thanks to our top-tier patrons. Thank you, Megan, Jesse Florence, Forrest, a.k.a. StabbyQuest, Nate Zakari, Rebecca, a.k.a. Bunny Monster, Sir Narvi and Sailor Tweak, John Adi, Linnea Boyev, and Hunted Shadows, LLC.